The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. This is the Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cuddy with you until seven o'clock this evening. Now the CSO has released uh, details of sexual violence uh, today. About a third of women who experience sexual violence uh, didn't report it or disclose it to anybody. Why? Because of the sense of shame or embarrassment uh, they felt. More than twice the similar rate felt uh, by male victims at 15%. Sarah Benson is the CEO of Women's Aid and she's with me now. Sarah, you're welcome to the show. Um, I mean, given uh, your your work in this area, these statistics probably not altogether surprising for somebody like you. Hi, good afternoon. Um, Unfortunately, no, these aren't. But I would simply um, commend, though, the the Central Statistics Office for this is the final part of an incredibly comprehensive national survey into sexual violence and abuse, um, a prevalence survey which they have conducted. And it's such important data. Unfortunately, though, it is not um, surprising that we know that still uh, today, uh, very similar to domestic violence, experiences of sexual violence and abuse are still things that those who are subjected to them find it incredibly difficult to talk about. Um, what I think was really interesting was that um, the largest cohort who were willing to or had shared an experience were the younger uh, cohort, 18 to 24s. But even then, only half of them ever told anybody. Um, and when that then increases to uh, the older age groups, you have um, uh, 60% not telling anybody. Mm. So um, I think that's something we really need to pay attention to if we're going to do better to both prevent uh, sexual violence and abuse um, and, and also hold perpetrators to account. And forgive the obvious question, Sarah, why? Why the reluctance to tell anyone? Well, you mentioned one of the the most um, common reasons was shame and embarrassment. And I think that that says an awful lot. Um, You know, the 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 other issues are, you know, we don't have a great track record in terms of successful levels of prosecution for sexual uh, crimes in this country. And indeed, uh, when you look at the figures for those who did disclose um, and those who then disclosed to the authorities, that is a tiny proportion. Most people, when they did speak out, um, did so for reasons like, um, you know, seeking support for themselves because they needed they needed support in terms mm-hmm. of processing what maybe has happened to them. Um, but uh, about 5% um, of those who did disclose um, uh, went to the authorities. So, you know, th- this there is a lot being done. I would commend the, the Minister for Justice and, and the department. They are trying to do more around the experience of victims of crime um, and their journey, particularly in relation to sexual violence. But we are coming from a very low baseline here. And, and there's the sense of, of shame or embarrassment what does, maybe not surveys like this, but the academic research, what does it tell us about the, the source of that shame or embarrassment? Well, I mean, I think there's other factors that, you know, when you think about them, uh, you know, they're, they, they, they kind of feed into this is one, like we just don't have a great track record of listening to and believing uh, those who have been victims of all forms of abuse, be it institutional abuse, often that was sexual as well, uh, domestic abuse. Um, you know, we tend to try and minimise um, the, these things, which then ends up normalising them. We had the uh, extremely courageous um, case of Kira Mangan there very recently who waived her anonymity in order to speak out at uh, 
the trial of the man who was convicted of her rape. But what she spoke about was also the extraordinary cruelty with which her colleagues uh, treated her, you know, singing songs about rape, mocking the situation, you know, environments like that, um, you know, clearly are not conducive to to people um, seeking help and getting the support and, mm. uh, you know, the, the, that they need. And very, very often, uh, in fact, the most common scenario is that somebody who is a victim of sexual violence or abuse, it is at the hands of someone they know. It is not a stranger. And so that's someone in their community. It may be a colleague. It may be a family member. It may be someone who they thought was a friend. So, you know, this is happening in communities. Um, people are still having to see the the perpetrator and all of the complexities mm. that that brings. So we really need to create an environment of support for yeah. survivors to be able to speak out. I, 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 do, I don't want to kind of uh, strike a dispiriting note, but I mean, the things you talk about there, I mean, people singing songs or, or, or the level of victim blaming that still exists. I mean, it speaks to uh, societal or cultural problems, which are the most kind of intractable when it comes to solving. Yeah, and I think we can sometimes let people can be careless. I mean, that uh, that case, you know, Kieran Mangan's case um, was, you know, when that happened was 10 years ago. So is it the case that that still is, you know, you would still um, that that level of, you know, recklessness and cruelty would be tolerated in a workplace? You know, um, I, I hope not. But unfortunately, there's still a feeling clearly if, you know, only 50 percent of young people, even less of older people feel uh, able to, to talk to anybody about what's happening. So we, we really do have work to do. Um, like we know also that sexual violence, you know, um, is very, very common in the context of domestic abuse. Mm. So it is sometimes, a, you know, goes hand in glove with other tactics of abuse like coercive control um, and victim blaming is often a tactic of coercive control. So, of course, you know, again, that makes it even more difficult for somebody to reach out. And notable to me, but again, not surprising, was that uh, only um, about 20% of uh, both female or male victims had actually used, you know, a support service. Um, now, those who did use the service in the very vast majority found it useful. But I would like to say, you know, sometimes people minimize themselves what's happened. You know, they feel, oh, well, this is for somebody, you know, who's had a much more serious thing happen to them, or they feel perhaps shame about it, um, or, you know, those complex feelings about this is somebody who I know, I have an otherwise, you know, a, a relationship with them. How do I manage to navigate this? And I would strongly recommend anybody out there who has an experience that they are holding, that they haven't disclosed, to reach out to a mm. specialist service, be it ourselves, be it the Right Crisis Centre, you know, uh, be it one, the mail advice line, wh whomever it may be, because speaking to somebody in confidence, you know, without people who maybe have kind of skin in the game, who maybe know the other parties involved, it can be a really reassuring first step in getting the support that you need, whether that's going to the guards or whether it's simply about getting that emotional therapeutic support you might need. And, and in terms of changing the culture, then, I mean, a, a, a large ship, but you know, large ships can be turned incrementally. Things like Coco's Law and mm. and. and Stuff like that, you know, about the kind of the, the, the non-consensual distribution of intimate images. I mean, do they form part of changing the culture, despite the fact they're about a specific thing? Does they, the, yeah. do they kind of serve a dual purpose? 
Well, that's a really good example of how legislation can also give a very strong message um, around what in our society we consider appropriate and uh, tolerable and what we think is really inappropriate. And, and I would say there's been a lot of legislation um, that has moved in recent years around uh, domestic violence, also around sexual violence, and there's reviews of the sexual offences uh, underway. There's also been some uh, moves to make the process of prosecution um, rape and sexual assault easier uh, on the victims. And Coco's law is the one which does stand out to me in terms of that that has now made it an offence not just to take or share intimate images of another person um, without their consent. It it also is a crime if you threaten to do it. Mm. And it is a crime if you happen to be sent something, maybe into, you know, a WhatsApp group or, and you then pass it on. So that thing of, you know, uh, that, that kind of online grapevine where things can go viral, like it actually, it is saying that everybody is responsible, um, you know, and that it isn't funny. Um, it isn't amusing. It has devastating consequences. And in the same way that, you know, gossiping about somebody who may have been sexually assaulted, uh, mocking them rather than treating them with compassion, you know, that equally is uh, something that, you know, we, yeah. we should not be uh, tolerating. And peer-to-peer -peer support is obviously vital, particularly for younger people. And we have our Two Into You campaign, uh, which looks at intimate partner abuse uh, with younger people. And that's very much geared around healthy relationships versus unhealthy relationships. And so much of that in the same way as sexual abuse and violence um, uh, is rooted in respect and equality and boundaries um, and also kindness. And I think that that's something that we really keep needing to you know, remind ourselves of and okay. nurture. Well, listen, you mentioned uh, uh, the importance of, of reaching out um for people who maybe are affected and, and reaching out to professionals and therapists, Women's Aid can be contacted on 1-800-341-900. Sarah Benson is the CEO of Women's Aid. Sarah, thanks a million. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.